So there was a recent article in Sports Illustrated titled, Growth Mode, How Mondays Have Become the Key to Gonzaga's Success. Now, just for context, at the time of this recording and at the time of writing that article, uh, Gonzaga University's men's basketball team was the front runner to win the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. Now, the article told the story of how, under the guidance of Brad Letbetter, uh, their strength coach, Gonzaga's strength coach, Travis Knight, started to deliver weekly culture days, or, or what they call PGMs, Personal Growth Mondays. Many within the team credit those PGMs as being critical for them leveling up their culture and their team after years of being a good, actually a very good program. These PGMs though, have helped take them to the top of college basketball. Now in our last episode, we spoke with Brett Ledbetter and his partner at What Drives Winning, Becky Burley, about the coach's journey. And if you missed it, I'd highly recommend going back and having a listen. But today's episode is the second half of our conversation where we move in a different direction, which is really what drives winning's area of expertise as consultants in the sports world. Our conversation is going to really focus on how we as leaders can influence and impact the growth of our players and our teams. One of the things I enjoyed about the conversation though is, is just how similar the mission and approach of what drives winning is to our work at Thrive on Challenge. So I think you're going to enjoy today's episode of the Coaching Culture Podcast with myself, JP Nurbin, and my co-host, Nate Sanderson. This podcast, it's about sharing stories, principles, and strategies to help you as a leader. And if you do find it valuable, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, but also subscribe to the thriveonchallenge.com weekly newsletter because we send out the notes to every episode of the podcast each Thursday. And to subscribe, all you need to do is head on over to thriveonchallenge.com. Enough about us though. Let's get right into the second part of our conversation with Brett Ledbetter and Becky Burley. I want to ask a question too here about interacting with athletes that more and more at younger and younger ages are experiencing a lot of the same outcome extrinsic-based pressures that coaches have been facing for years. And I know both of you obviously have worked with high-level athletes, but a lot of the coaches, even in our program, that may not have a, a nationally you know, recruited athlete, but um, face the pressures that they see on their social media and their notifications. And you know, everyone's voices in the stands have become amplified in lots of different ways. And so you know, as, as coaches are listening, what tips would you give them to help athletes to be able to navigate that when they don't have the breadth of experience you know, that, that we're fortunate to have 20 years into our coaching career. Everything's relative. So even though there's one that's really visible over here it, in the local community, it feels that big to the young mind. Right. And so I would say two things. The, the first one is asking the team, what are the top three things that could get in the way of your, your team maximizing its ability and then have them write those things down. And then have you all seen the sticky note exercise where, and so yeah. if they write those struggles down and you ask them human or sport related, they're going to see that most of those sticky notes go to the human that builds purpose around, Hey, this is some of the stuff that we're going to cover together. And now your role as a coach and the influence that you're going to possess in that person's life is going to grow because 
they're giving you what their experience is and they're going to feel hurt by you. And then if you ask the question, what's your biggest personal struggle or on the original, what drives winning book, just asking them, what would you want your teammates to say about you at the end of the year? That gives a vision of their words that they're committing to. And then in my role, I heard a great line that I became a better teacher when I realized that sport and life are better than me. And so if you can apply the outcomes that are happening in a way, a meaningful way that builds purpose into their life, I think that helps build an interior that can combat those external forces over time. You're, you're planting seeds at that point. Becky, is there anything you'd add to that? I think those are, are great points. I mean, the whole point that Brett makes about the sticky note exercise, why I think that's so valuable is because I think as coaches, we really get caught up in our X's and O's and we think that that's the solution to every problem on our team. When in fact, it's probably a solution to about one tenth of our issues, if that it's more the human related issues and, and how do we create a, a platform or a forum to address those issues within our teams? And we're not saying X's and O's don't matter. Like that's, that's the competence piece as it for a coach, like that's the skill set you bring in. But I, I, when I observe a lot of coaches, it's usually not the X and O part that they struggle with. And I think that when you see coordinators get head coaching jobs or assistant gets head coaching job, their previous role has nothing to do with what their current role is. And so when they make that transition, it's a completely different job with a completely different set of skill sets. And that's a challenge for people to make that transition. You know, Brett, one thing we did one time um, trying to get our players to shift their perspective on what's going to make this season memorable. Um, we did a graduation party for our seniors during our summer camp. So as we were getting ready for the season, and so we brought in a cake and we had kids write cards as though it was the end of the year. What were they going to appreciate? You know, looking back, gosh, we missed that you are a leader in this way and that way. And then that was one of the coolest experiences. And they just took the cards with them as reminders of this is what the team is hoping to get from you, but also to really balance you know, again, the outcome expectations with the impact that they could have on their teammates. And anyway, it was a really cool experience along the same lines. So creative. And, and be, it's like a real manifestation of what's going to happen. And for you to facilitate that, of course, it's going to be impactful. Uh, you're obviously brought in, in, in one case, uh, I remember a few years back, saw that you were brought in by Gonzaga. And I have been a lifelong Gonzaga fan, so I'm hoping they can pull it off this year. I have lost a lot of money on them over the years, but I really have been following them for a long time. So I'm, I'm counting on you, man. But no, seriously, I mean, you came into Gonzaga, which was already well known as a strong culture, a strong team with strong values. So I think oftentimes other coaches look at certain programs like, like the Zags and they think, man, Mark Few, he's got it all together. They're, they're well-oiled machine. They're, they're perfect, but they're bringing you in for a reason, right? Because things aren't perfect. And I was just curious, you know, what do you see at that level, people and coaches struggling with, teams struggling with, that is very much relatable to other coaches that are, are not nearly at that level? It's interesting because I thought it would be more different than it is. 
but it's very similar to all levels. And I think that anyone, success is hard at any level. The investments are very similar. And what I've found is that when I go in to work with people that have had a lot of success, I'm never going to be able to have the answer for them because they're too smart. They've given too much thought to it. They have all the context, all the information that I don't have. So I think for me, realizing I'm not going to have the answers is a, a liberating feeling. And the reason I'm being invited into these rooms is not to share knowledge, but to ask questions. And so if they're at like level three or four underneath the surface, my goal is to try through questioning to get them to seven, eight, and nine and let their intellect wrestle with the questions because their intellect is their skill set. And so it's the same thing with teams. It's the same thing with individuals. I'm just asking them what is getting in the way of your next level. And then they articulate that. And through that articulation, we build a structure that we can deviate from, but a structure of topics that we're going to converse about to learn how to navigate these things as a group. Becky, I'd, I'd throw that question to you. And, you know, as you've kind of ro- rose to the ranks of coaching, did the issues, the challenges, they, did they change much? Well, I think that, um, you know, people ask me all the time about like, are kids different now than when you first started coaching? And uh, my answer to that is, of course, because our environment is different. Parenting is different. Everything is different. So I think our parents said that about us and their parents said that about them. It's just a generational thing. Um, So I think, I think part of good coaching and kind of what Brett's saying about like what you bring to the table as a coach in terms of your intellect is the the understanding of the need to evolve as your players evolve. And I think if you think the same thing is going to work for every team, I mean, it's, it's just crazy thinking because you're losing your best leaders, maybe potentially your best players every year, bringing in totally inexperienced players every year in a college setting. So of course the dynamic of your team is going to change tremendously and each team is its own um, season. And there's some overarching, you know, values and guiding principles that you're going to use, but you're dealing with a whole different set of humans and humans are crazy creatures who are going to vary significantly. I'm curious too, in, in your experience and both of you just working and seeing all kinds of coaches and all kinds of different environments work, are, are there patterns where there are behaviors from coaches where knowingly or not, they're undermining the development of the culture of their team. We've already mentioned modeling is one of those things that's important in terms of of being able to practice and demonstrate what you're asking your athletes to do. But are there other things that you see that maybe coaches aren't always aware of that, that they themselves sometimes become the obstacle to leveling up as you were, as you were referring to before? Well, I was just going to, I actually sent this quote to Brett this morning. I saw it um, on a, an email that I got this morning and it said, um, how are you complicit in creating the conditions you don't want? And that, that question was, that really resonated with me. Cause I'm like, man, what, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? And I think just turning that around and looking at yourself is, is always an interesting question. Yeah, I didn't see that, but it, it shows the power of a good question. Cause that is a great question. And I think one of the things that we really tried to investigate the last year is how do people build an environment? where their team can do the best work. 
And what we found the patterns emerge is how the leader defines, manages, and models their expectation. And defining is proactive, managing is reactive, and then modeling is all the time. And so that's the lens I'm looking at when I go in and work with coaches. And then you just ask questions based on what you observe. I'd like to add to that because for me, my favorite of Brett's books is the environments book, the what drives winning environments. And the reason for me, that's one of my favorites is that that define, manage and model is such a tool book for coaches in terms of really getting clear on what you need to do to set your values, culture, um, all of that. And the, the facets of that, like, because it's one thing to be able to know what your values are. It's a totally separate thing to be able to manage those. And it's a totally separate thing to be able to model those. So to look at that book for me as like a, a almost like a toolkit for coaches is where I feel there's so much value. I mean, I could, I could read that book 10 times and every time I'm going to take something different from it. And so Nate, maybe the biggest, the, the, the biggest things that I've learned from that is that what a coach praises matter. And so they'll be inconsistent with what they direct energy to that they want behavior. And then when a player goes below the line and is from a behavioral standpoint, so many times that drags the coach below the line. And then they reinforce in a way that's not consistent with who they want to be but they're asking their players to not do that. And so those are some of the most common mixed signals that I see. And can I follow up on that a little bit? Because I think you touch on something there where the emotional state of the coach in the moment is often so tied into the performance of the athlete, the behavior of the athlete. And no matter what our intentions are going into that practice, or sometimes even the reminders on our practice plan, we get dragged down or sometimes dragged up, you know, into, into mania when hey, things you know go what you well. Do, man, next, you got a big game coming up on Tuesday and it, they're going to get bigger from there. You should uh, analyze the tape on what percent of the time you coach the next play immediately. I think that is one of the most overlooked things that coaches do and you can see it whether they're talking to the ref, whether they're reacting to what just happened, can you stay fully present in the game? I, and I don't, I don't think people, you always hear the tagline, be present. But I, I would push back and challenge people to grade themselves on, are they actually present? And I think you spot your team 10 points. Um, if you are, because it's so rare to see someone transcend the moment and think strategically about the next thing that's always happening. And even add, to add to that, Brett, I'm reading Doug Lamov's new book about uh, the coaching as teacher or whatever it's called. And, and he talks about in there how oftentimes we don't even know what happens. Like we feel we feel what happened and we respond. But we go back and watch the film and realize I yelled at the wrong guy or I, you know, he did travel, you know, or whatever it might be. So that's been a good check for me, too, before I fly off the handle is making sure that what I think happened actually happened before I respond. <laughs> Amen to that point. 
I, I just want to add one thing, and I know I'll say it wrong, so I'm going to throw it to you, Brett. But um, Bill Beswick's quote, quote about the face of the coach sort of related to this discussion. Bill Beswick is someone based in the UK. I don't know if you all have seen him through our work at all, but he's a sports psychologist. And he's really been a thought partner for me for the last four years. But one of his favorite lines is, the health of a coach is a reflection. I'm sorry, the face of a coach is a reflection of the health of a team. And that's such a powerful line if you think about it. Yeah, some of the stuff that you, you're saying there resonates me with me in the biggest way because back to my story that I had shared with you earlier, rock bottom for me wasn't necessarily losing lots of games. It was dysfunctional relationships and this awareness that kind of came to me of honestly what an idiot I looked like on the sideline. It's just, whoa, you know, I have a serious problem. I'm asking my players to leave to communicate in a way that I am not demonstrating, you know? Um, and so that's that I really appreciate you guys just kind of honestly kind of calling that out because I think there's so much good stuff that you guys share through what drives winning and so much good content. Um, I was a coach for a long time that was like, okay, I'm going to do the activity with my team because that's going to fix them and, and change them. When really you know, and in, in what drives winning environments you're talking about, have you have to model that is so, so important. You, you guys do a lot of different stuff when it comes to the education of coaches and development. And so you obviously want coaches to understand a lot of things, but if there was only one thing that you could have every coach in the world understand, what would be that one thing? Jeez, throwing me the hard ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I, I, the thing that came straight to my mind when you said it is probably my favorite quote, which is comparison is the thief of joy. I don't know if you can see it. It's right over my shoulder here. Um, but I think in the sports world, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, um, gosh, comparison just gets you into so many bad places. And to, to be able to realize that if you can let go of that comparison, you can have your joy. That'd be the gift I would give any coach or athlete. That's a good one because competition is comparison and, and invites comparison by nature, especially the higher you go up. I would say probably to develop the internal strength to not let what's happening on the outside view dictate your internal experience. Let me ask that, that question one more way then. If you had a magic wand and you could just tap every athlete in the country, you know, and give them a perspective or a nugget, what, what would that be? I would challenge them to think that, that sport could restrict their thinking that who they're becoming as a result of the chase is the most important thing. And I would hope my actions that I modeled as a coach would reflect that in every way. And I think mine would just tag on to the comparison part, which would just be run your own race, you know, try to be your best, not the best. Can I kind of have two more questions before we let you get out of here? Um, the first one is Brett, you're really great at questions. Uh, that's your thing. It's how you help lead, you know, people to maybe certain things that they become aware of, uh, within themselves and, and changes they want to make. Uh, but 
I think coaches so often we lecture, we lecture. And, and one of the things I'll hop on a call with a coach and, you know, something will happen and I say, well, you know, what was your response? And like, well, we, I, we talked about it. We talked, we, well, who talked, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, we, we both kind of talked. Well, how much did you talk? Well, probably about 95%. So, you know, they, they bring a player in, it's just a coach dominated conversation. So I'm always challenging them to lead with questions, lead with questions. So do you have any questions that maybe some go-to ones that you think coaches should really kind of maybe put in their arsenal or tool belt that help their athletes? And then maybe Becky, you might have a few questions as well. That's So we hit this pretty hard on what drives winning environments. The One of the lines that I love is players, people don't sink the boat that they're in. And so the more ownership we can give them in their own development, that helps the process accelerate so much more. And when you couple that thought with a line that Jack Clark had, why guess when you can know? Mm-hmm. It, it really sits back because the best lesson I've learned is I know that I don't know. And so for me, it's give me a scenario. How about that? And I'll, I'll tee off how I would uh, attack that. I'll t- just I got off a call with one coach and he'll love this. And I get to pick your brain on this. Um, he's got a player that doesn't want to really communicate or speak up to him. He's a leader, but there just doesn't seem to be communication. And he's not sure why this player won't communicate with him, why they, he won't share. Um, but it's you know frustrating for him because he really wants to invest in that relationship. So maybe the preliminary questions, and maybe he's already done this, maybe he hasn't, would just be asking the player, do you think that verbal communication is important? Scale of one to 10, how good are you as a verbal communicator? Why did you give yourself that ranking? How could you improve from where you are to the end of the season? What is my role in helping you get there? It's just, I just think that coaches, that one of the driving insecurities for them is they feel like they have to have all the answers. And so often the answers they come up with are not in line with what the players are thinking. So it actually causes more problems than not. And if you can just say, well, I guess when you can know and meet them where they are and take that information and build a plan from it, that that player is not going to sink the boat. And if they do, at least you're giving yourself the best opportunity for them not to self-sabotage. Becky, thoughts? Well, if I'm I'm being really honest, my thoughts were just before this podcast, I had a player come in unexpectedly. It was just a conversation that was about 15 minutes long. And I feel like I asked maybe two questions in the 15 minutes and probably spoke a little guilty. (laughs) Probably spoke about 13 minutes. (laughs) So I think you can see how even those people who, like Brett said, I know how to ride that bike. That doesn't mean I can execute it. Last question I kind of have. Uh, for you both in this is actually uh, for you, Becky, um, because, you know, it's kind of been clear, you know, throughout this, Brett, that relationships are important. Relationships are um, important, not just with the coach and their players, but that they have other people around them. Both of you kind of have mentioned that. And Becky, you've been coaching for some time. And I know you guys have both been working on what drives winning for quite some time together as well. And I, I guess my question for you, Becky, is, What's Brett's relationship meant to you on this coaching journey? You know, I think he's really um, 
pushed me to think in a different way. And I think we're similar enough in values that we were aligned from the beginning when we met, but we go about it so, so differently. And I think that's one of the things that sort of makes our partnership unique in the fact that um, we have different perspectives, but the same values and different ways of getting there. And I think that helps, it helps me to expand my thinking. And I hope, um, you know, I do the same for Brett in some ways. And um, like we become kind of challengers to one another. And, you know, I will tell you this too. There have been times where Brett has challenged me where I have not liked what he's challenged me on. Like it's been frustrating, um, emotional, um, any word you can think of. And I think that sometimes I have reacted very poorly to, to what he's pushed me on. But what I respect is the fact that he still keeps coming back and pushes me because. Hey, can I just say something on that? Becky, Becky is like the least emotional person you're going to meet, like literally. So what she's describing is you never see it. I can tell you when, when she is frustrated, her face gets red, her eyes get bloodshot and she just does. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of people won't come back. You know, they won't keep giving you that feedback. And I think that's the danger we face with people when we don't respond well to feedback. Um, so I think the universe tells me that I need to respond better to feedback so that I'll continue to get it. But I respect the fact that Brett's one of the people that will continue to give it to me despite the poor reaction. Brett, as the feedback giver in, that, in the scenarios that Becky's talking about, is that challenging for you? You know, is that, is that a hard role to play at different times? And didn't know if you could share a little bit about that experience and, and why that's so important to you. It's probably contextual to the person. So I'm just going to talk about it from Becky's perspective. Mm-hmm. We're in the foxhole together and there is such a strong love between us that it's, she invites the conversation, even though she doesn't want to have it she invites it. And I think that when you have that level of trust between you, it's a lot easier to ask the questions because I I think with Becky, the questions are just, so to be super clear, I'm never going in and making a judgment or making an assessment. If I had judgments, I would have no job. And if I had answers, I wouldn't have a job. The thing I bring into, because these are really high achieving people, is just the questions. And I think that Becky, because she's so authentic with her leadership, she's really coaching herself at that moment. And she's just not liking what she's saying to herself. I'm actually not the one giving the feedback. I'm just facilitating a conversation with her and herself. Would you agree with that, Becky? Yeah, I think the, um, the, the pointed questions, you know, are where people sometimes will stop going. You know, um, and and I I don't think I'm a very emotional person, but I definitely get emotional um, in terms of when it's something like that where I feel like I'm being pushed. I I can get to that point where I just he's right. Like I don't want to have the conversation. Um, I will I will push myself to do it. So I think maybe that's where you're saying like I'm I can still invite it, but I'm not happy about it. And I think that. Um, that's just, it's not often that you can find someone that has the staying power to be involved in those conversations when they're getting negative feedback back. And I think that's what I give him sometimes. 
I think this might be the best point to end on, guys. The thing that I respect most about Becky is what I respect most about leaders in general. The greatest leaders I've ever been around, they don't control and they're still able to mobilize. And that is Becky. She cannot be controlled and she doesn't control her own. And somehow by the end of the season, they're all going in the same direction. And she is magical when it comes to that. Brent, I want to get you out of here on one more quick one. I think you're positioned in an interesting place in the sports world in that you're working with and get to be exposed to all kinds of different coaching practices and elite athletes and high-level coaches. And I'm wondering for you personally, I would imagine that it might be sometimes tempting to think that Brett Ledbetter's arrived and has a great book and is on the best podcast about coaching culture. And <laughs> I'm wondering, what have you found to be most fulfilling in the work that you've done? Conversations that are substantive on a daily basis with people that I love and respect. And I don't think I get outside that lane. And I think that the reason I hired Bill Beswick to be a thought partner for me is he's 75 and has Parkinson's. And his view on life is so clear. And I think that there are males in my life that are the same age, 20 years older and 40 years older that have poured into me in a way to say, hey, here's some of the things that I dealt with that give you a better understanding of the present and how to best navigate it in a way that you would ultimately want your life to reflect. I really resonate with your answer there as thoughtful, you know, conversations with people that we love. That's what Nate and I really, really enjoy doing in, in our work with coaches. Uh, you've got so much great stuff out there. Uh, where do you want to direct our listeners to check you guys out and, and follow your stuff? If they haven't already heard it, they, most of them probably have. But you can definitely, uh, yeah, where should people follow you or, or follow up? I would say whatdriveswinning.com. Uh, there are a lot of free videos there. The one thing that I would highly recommend is the What Drives Winning Environment Workshop. I partner with Chris Peterson, who is formerly at Washington, or, uh, Washington, he just retired from, and at Boise State as a football coach, American football. And it's remarkable at the thoughts he has. And we really unpack this at a low price point because right now, Becky and I are working with the University of Florida to turn that into a master's levels course. And so we're trying to make this information that is highly valued accessible to everyone. Becky, anything you would add to that? Well, and don't forget the coaching lab. We just started a new coaching lab uh, about two weeks ago, and it's like a bi-monthly community that discusses things like we discussed today. So it's so enlightening. It's one of my favorite things we do. And um, we've just started it is my favorite. I mean, it's a, it's a weekly. Yeah, it's just a live conversation with coaches of all different walks. And just to hear the perspectives, you just it goes back to that statement earlier when we were talking that doing the work in the way you all are trying to do it. High intentionality is hard at any level. And to have support and creative ideas on how to best attack situations is a premium because you know, when you find your tribe, you find your tribe. Thanks to Brett and Becky for coming on the podcast and also for the work they do to impact coaches. Be sure to visit 
whatdriveswinning.com. Also, if you want to get Nate's notes on today's episodes, be sure to go over to thriveonchallenge.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we send out a PDF with all the coaching notes.